Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And tonight, uh, we'll, we'll finish the Gospel of Luke. And um, we're not just going to be looking at Luke. We're actually going to get a look at all four of the Gospels for a complete picture. I think there's going to be some surprises as we look at a chronology of events. And um, just a word put here and a word put there can change the complete chronology of what happened on uh, the resurrection Sunday morning. And um, it's going to take us a while to get through all four. So let's begin just by looking at um, uh, verse 1 is all we're going to make it through right on this first one. It says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, please notice those words, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. So what I want to draw your attention to is the wording just very early in the morning. Turn with me to the, oh, you ought to mark these four Gospels. Uh, Mark um, Matthew 28, just take time and do that right now. And then Mark, Mark, (laughs) 16, Obviously, Luke 24 and John 20. These are the chapters that we'll be going through tonight. So we just read uh, verse 1 that it was very early in the morning. Um, Let's go to the Gospel of John and look at verse 1. And we begin to notice right away... um, some differences, and interesting contrasts. Verse 1 of John 20 says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Notice, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So what we have, the difference between Luke, very early in the morning, and Mary showing up, and it tells us very clearly that it was still dark. Go to Matthew chapter 28, and we're looking at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, so we have it very early in the morning to dark, to now it's uh, beginning to dawn, Mary Magdalene and another Mary came to see the tomb. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verses one and two. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, notice, when the sun had risen. So we have four Gospels. One tells us clearly it was before, well, it was still dark. One tells us it was just early. One tells us the day was dawning. And the other tells us that the sun had already risen. And um, that's going to play into, a little bit later, the order of events as people show up at the tomb. All right, let's go back to Luke 24. We've made it all the way through verse 1. Amazing. Uh, verses, uh, literally just verse two here. 
It says they found that the stone uh, rolled away from the tomb, and we have to stop there and mark that. So the stone has been rolled away. The, um, not to let Jesus out, but to let the women in. And we'll talk about that in more detail in just a bit. So here, the stone is rolled away. Go to Mark chapter 16. Like I said, we're going to be flip-flopping back and forth throughout this evening as we do this um, comparative study. Um, Verses 3 through 5. In verse 3, And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So they're concerned. They're not there yet. They're en route making conversation. And the conversation is, that's a big stone. How in the world are we going to roll it away? Um, And Luke tells us the stone was already rolled away. Um, Now go to Matthew chapter 28. um, Looking at verses 2 through 4. And that'll tell us how the stone was actually moved. In verse 2, behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel, notice singular, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat in it. What the women were worried about by the time they got there, one angel is mentioned and he's sitting on top of the stone that this angel rolled away. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like a dead man. Now, Matthew's going to be the only one that tells us about the guards. As long as we're here, um, we find them only in Matthew's gospel, 11 through 15. Uh, These men knew. They saw the angel. Uh, Verse 11 says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came up into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave him a bunch of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, uh, we will appease him and make you secure. So don't worry about your safety, uh, because to be a Roman guard and have a... have a, um, your your post being ruined would have been big trouble for them. Verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. What? The disciples stole the body. All right, let's go back to um, Luke 24. We'll read a little bit more this time. Luke 24, picking it up now in verse 3, we'll read through verse 12. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. You know, on Mark's, uh, Matthew's account, there was just one at the time. But as they went in, two men stood by them in shining garments. 
and they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, and they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and then the third day rise again, and then they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Okay, remember that because there's an event that's going to happen in another one of the Gospels. And it tells us it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words to them seemed like idle tales, but they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping down. He saw the living clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what in the world has just happened. So this is Luke's account of um, the women speaking to two angels, and they return, the disciples sort of blown off, they don't believe it, idle tales. And Peter goes and runs to the tomb. Well, John's going to elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh, So we're told two angels here. Let's get Matthew's account of the same thing. Uh, Matthew 28 again. Um, Verses 5 through 8. This is a single angel, not two of them now. So now we're back to one angel. But the angel answered, what angel? The angel that rolled the stone away that was sitting on the stone answered and said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed, he's going before you into Galilee There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. All right, now we're going to stay right here. Let's go to um, Mark chapter 16 at this time. Mark chapter 16, picking it up, verses 5 through 8. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. What I want to point out here is there's just one of them in the tomb, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples, and then here it says, and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. And he said to you, as he said to you, and they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he arose early on the first day, this is important here because I'll come back to, to this verse. I want you to remember it here because it's going to fit in our chronology. 
So verse nine of Mark is important. When he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him. So we're gonna come back to that, but now I wanna go back to Matthew 28, 9, and 10. We were just there, Matthew 28. Okay, remember, he appeared, first of all, we just read to who? Mary Magdalene was the first one. We read that in Mark. We'll see it in John. But Matthew's account is interesting because they're on their way to go tell the disciples, verse 9 and 10, and as they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them. So the Lord meets them before they even get to the disciples. And he says, rejoice. And they came and held him by his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So here we have Matthew's account of this nine and 10. Now I need to have return to the gospel of John. Gospel of John. Verses two through 10. We just read, remember in Mark, verse nine, that the first person that Jesus appeared to was Mary, by herself. But then as the women are leaving, plural women, the Lord appears to them and says rejoice. Now as we look at John's account, picking up, we did verse one, um, now, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now this wording of the time of day is important because remember here is the only time when it's dark. So evidently when you put this all together, Mary was there, first of all, by herself when it was dark. The other place it says the dawn was breaking. The other place it said the sun was already risen. And in one gospel just said it was just very early in the morning. Here it tells us... um, that it was still dark, and then she ran and came to Simon Peter. So we have fill in the gap between the other gospels here, verse two. Um, She came to Simon Peter, to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. One gospel writer just tells us it was Peter. Here John writes, no, I went with him. So we have Peter and John. So they both ran together, and John has to point out that he's a faster runner than Peter. (laughs) It's only recorded in, in John. And they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I kind of see Peter, John looking around and saying, what took you so long? And um, he, stooping down, looked in, saw the linen clothed lying there, yet did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him into the tomb, saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, uh, not lying with the linen clothes that were folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first went and also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. 
Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So this is early morning, starting before dark, as the dawn is breaking, it's early in the morning, and another gospel writer that says, no, the sun is fully risen at that time. Now, as we um, look at John 20, verse 11, it's our next um, 11 through 18. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping when Peter and John clearly says they went home. Mary's staying behind at this point. And she wept and she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting. So either we have a multitude of angels here, one for sure that rolled away the stone. Clear on that. One was sitting in there, clear on that, one of the gospel writers tells us. But here, we're told she sees two uh, angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And he said to her, a woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. The question here is why? And I think that's gonna be answered for us when we look at Luke's gospel and how he disguised himself to Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus. So here she doesn't recognize the Lord, but there's no explanation. Maybe she was weeping. Maybe she didn't look up, uh, just responding. She thought he was a gardener. And Jesus said to a woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Now she thought he was a gardener and said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. And I, I believe this touched the Lord's heart and he said to her, Mary. Now everybody here, if you call somebody on the phone, you can pretty much tell who you're talking to before they tell you who it is. And you recognize people's voices. Well, this is what got Mary. She knew that voice. And when he said, Mary, she turned and said to him, Roboni, which is to say teacher. Now he says the same thing, but differently to Mary, because I think this is a separate event that's happening here. The other women that Jesus appeared to worshiped him, held his feet. He did not rebuke them for doing so. He does so here to to Mary. Verse 17, he said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. All right, now this is all morning. Um, By the time we get to verse 19 here, it's evening. So it'll be the evening of the Sunday of the resurrection. But we're not... There's other events that take place, so let's go to the afternoon, and Luke is the only one who records this for us. So go back to Luke 23, and we'll pick it up in verse 13, and I'll read and comment as we go. So we just went from a very interesting morning. 
on how this all blends together with the timing, the number of angels. And so now, in verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Mary did not know him, but it doesn't give us this explanation why. Um, I believe um, Mary's eyes were restrained too, but I certainly wouldn't be dogmatic about it. But here he's taken on a different identity and we're gonna see the same thing happening when we get to the Lord meeting up with the disciples in the Galilee. But here he's purposely hiding his identity. And he said to them, well, what kind of conversation is this that you guys are having with one another? And why are you so sad anyway? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And the Lord plays dumb here. He says, what things? And he said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was, notice past tense, a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, I can almost detect a sigh in their conversation, again, past tense, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Again, people hear what they want to hear. And they were like the disciples. Uh, The Lord is going to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. We were hoping now is the time. They could not reconcile the Messiah suffering and dying. So they're going home. They quit. And then they go on and then they say, besides all that, there's all these rumors floating around. Besides all this today is the third day since these things happened and there's certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early that astonished us. Well, we now know that they arrived at different times and Mary comes back and arrives with them again, apparently. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they have also seen a vision of angels, plural, uh, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. Okay, Um, so what this tells me here is when they went to talk to the disciples, it wasn't just the disciples that were there. Who else was there? Well, Cleopas and his friend. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman have said. But he said, but they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things that entered into his glory. Now this is scripture that we went through on Sunday. Um, And as we had a Bible study on on suffering, 
And now our point on Sunday was to show from the Old Testament. We went to, remember Isaiah? And we went to Psalm 22. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. And um, yet it pleased the Lord to, to bruise him when our iniquity was placed upon him. Then we went to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They look upon me. They pierced my hands and my feet. My tongue sticks to my jaw. Talking about suffering. How the the Lord suffered during that time. Oh, how I would have loved to have sat in on this Bible study. He says, in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. I hope they have instant replay someday in heaven. Because here you are walking for seven miles and they don't know it's Jesus yet. And he starts with Moses. And um, oh, quickly just turn it couple pages to John chapter 3. This is not in my notes, but I'll throw it in for extra credit. John 3, John chapter 3, we're talking about Nicodemus being born again, and we read in verse 14, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now there's three musts in John chapter three. The first one is in verse three, where you must be born again. Uh, Verse seven, you must be born again. The second must is in verse 14. The Son of Man must be lifted up, and if you turn the page, Um, to John the Baptist. Um, The verse says, verse 30, he must, that's the third must, increase, but I must decrease. So we have the three musts in John chapter three. I'm interested in verse 14. And as, as Moses was lifted up, well, we read back in Matthew 24. I believe that's where we were. Yes, in the sufferings, verse 27, uh, Luke 24, and beginning at Moses. So here, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, here's one of the Bible studies that I'm sure he gave to Cleopas and his friends. And um, I can't take you back to, for, for sake of time, but uh, the people were murmuring and complaining and uh, Moses had pretty much had it with them. And um, they had sinned, and the Lord had allowed snakes to come into the camp and strike them, and some of them were dying. So it got their attention. And they go to Moses, and they plead with Moses, will you pray for us and intercede, because we're dying. So the Lord spoke to Moses, and he says, I want you to take a pole, and um, put on a brown serpent on the pole. And then all the people that were bitten by the snakes that are dying of the poison, just tell them to go look at the pole. And whoever looks at the pole, well, they'll live. And um, there were two groups of people at this time. One group of people saying, I'm dying here, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
How is that going to help me? And the other ones were saying, well, if that's what the Lord told Moses to do, what do we got to lose? So were those people who went and looked. And now he's quoting it. You think Nicodemus knew the story? Of course he did. And so he's making a direct connection. And what do you have? Bronze is always a symbol of judgment. The serpent is a picture of sin. What do you have a picture of? Sin being judged. We like to say for every New Testament teaching, what? Old Testament picture. I'm sure this was one. He said he began with Moses, then he went through all the prophets. But this was what I'm sure he told, and I'm sure he told it a whole lot better than I just did. (laughs) And he expounded to them. Let's go back to verse 27 now. After the suffering... Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would go farther. So he's saying goodbye to the guys, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it's towards evening. So now we know again the time. A seven, minute, a seven mile walk, I don't know how long that would take. The Lord's giving Old Testament Bible studies to these guys. One of them that I just gave, I'm sure. But now it's getting dark. So again, The time of day tells us what the Lord did in the afternoon. He spent a good portion of that day with um, Cleopas and his friend. But they said, why don't you come on and have supper with us? Now verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave to them, and then their eyes were open. I'm only speculating, but when he gave them the bread, I think it was like this. And even though maybe his face was different or maybe he allowed his appearance to be transformed back again. I mean, if he can pop into a room and out of a room, I think he can change his appearance. He created the universe with the power of his word. All things are held together by the power of his word. These are small things for the Lord to do. And so either way, they knew at that point that it was Jesus Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight, literally disappeared. And they said to one another, it's interesting to me, that they go back to the Bible study and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Of all the things in life that that satisfy The only thing that really satisfies is man can't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from God. Good place for an amen. It satisfies. The Lord satisfies my soul. A good Bible study satisfies my soul. Nothing can take its place. And here, the thing they comment on was, man, they were probably thinking, man, I never saw that before. Then you go on to another and they were probably thinking, man, I never saw that before. I mean, that whole thing with the serpent and snake and bronze representing sin being judged? Yeah, that's what he told Nicodemus. And so uh, that they talked about um, a good heartburn. <laughs> Let's put it that way. As he talked with us on the road, Vern Bullock, boy, that's going back to 1973, wrote a song called Walking and Talking with Jesus Who's My Soul. Dave, you remember him? Yeah, and uh, 
he actually came to Oshkosh was an evangelist. And um, um, he lives in, um, uh, outside of Colorado Springs. And I spent a day with him and Barry McGuire, the guy who wrote The Eve of Destruction, and it was Barry's 40th birthday. Now he's 85 now, so do the math. That's how many years ago it was. It was in the early 70s. And we had the second chapter of Acts with us and a band called David that were touring with the second chapter of Acts. And because it was Barry McGuire's 40th birthday party, we all went over to Vern Bullock's house. And he sang that song, Walking and Talking with Jesus Soothes My Soul. We wanted to do something for Barry for his birthday. And he also had a song called Seagulls. That doesn't have anything to do with our Bible study, but it was my favorite Vern Bullock song. (laughs) So I said, would you play Seagulls? And he says, how did you know that song? And I said, well, I'm from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and you were there, and you did that song, and I bought your album while, while you were there, and I think it's your best song. And so he played it. So there's a personal memory of, um, of walking and talking with Jesus who's my soul. All right, let's go back. This is the afternoon now. Uh, it's evening. So in verse 33 it says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now how they had that bit of information, I don't know. But they tell it, and they talked about the things that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, now catch this, because this is gonna add a whole new aspect to the understanding of the Lord appearing, we say, to the 11 disciples, right? No, Cleopas is there with his buddy. Tells us right here. As they were, it was now evening, So we've gone from the afternoon into the evening. Now as I said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blown. Now, when we, we talk, when we use that terminology, what do we always say? Well, he's just flesh and blood. Not here. There is no blood. There's flesh and there's bone. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, you guys have any food? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb, and he take it and ate it in their presence. Now, again, I want to go back and just dwell on this idea of the glorified body that the Lord had um, was not flesh and blood. His blood was shed on the cross. He was flesh and bone. But having said that, he could still, um, being human, uh, had the capacity the proof that he is Lord and Savior uh, is a human being is that he also, he's fully God and fully man, he took some of this food, the fish and the honeycomb, 
and he ate it in their presence. And on Sunday, we're getting into um, the rapture, the resurrection, and the type of bodies that we're going to have. And this is a good jumping off point right here. Because when we, when we see him, we'll be like him. We'll know as he, he knows. And we'll have the capacities that he's demonstrating here to, uh, to some degree. All right, now let's go to John chapter 20. So let me just review quickly. This is going to be verses uh, 19 through 25. What we have up to verse 20, remember, is Mary Magdalene. Well, it was still dark, and then it breaks. So between verses 18 and 19, we have the Lord with Cleopas and his friend on the road to Emmaus, and that was in the afternoon. Uh, It was getting dark, so they invited him in for supper. And now it's evening. Now this is the first time that he's appearing to his disciples and what you may not have noticed before is who was also in the group. It doesn't mention Cleopas here, but it does in the other gospel. So verse 19, this is, the Lord's gonna appear to his disciples three times. This is gonna be the first of three. Then the same day at evening, Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, he came and stood in the midst of them and he said, peace be with you. Now when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Again, we want to piece what else was going on here and that is uh, the eating of the food, flesh and bone, that's not mentioned here. Then they said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I gotta see how far I want to read here through 25. And when they had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you have forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain them, the sins of any, they are retained. It says, but Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. Who was? Well, Cleopas was there, but he's not mentioned here. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And this is the first appearing of the Lord. Between verses 25 and 26, we have an eight-day period of time that goes by. And this is now the second time that the Lord is going to appear to them. So let's pick it up, verse 26 through 29. And this time, Thomas is there. Now, more than a week later, his disciples were inside, and Thomas was with them, And the doors were still shut and stood in the midst. The Lord appears to him and says, peace to you. So again, the point here is that the doors are shut and the Lord just appears to them. And he looks right over at Thomas. 
basically says, Thomas, come on over here a second. I want to talk to you. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hands here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. The Lord was there all the time when Thomas showed up. He just wasn't allowing his appearance to be known. This is a learning object for you and for me that we're gonna see why the Lord allowed this to happen. Now this is the second time, eight days later, and Thomas answered and said to them, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. This is a reference to you and I. I've never seen the Lord. And um, like it says, though not seeing him yet, uh, we love him. Talked about Sunday in 2 Corinthians 5, actually groaning, <laughs> wanting to be with him because of the, what's coming down and what's happening in this world. But um, to whom much is given, much is required. And because they saw the Lord, they're gonna be held to a higher standard. And one of, Paul calls himself an apostle. And when they have to replace Judas, Peter's gonna go out and he lays down the conditions for who would replace Judas. And the condition was that they had to be with the Lord while he was still alive. And been there during the crucifixion. And then afterwards, he would have had to been a part of that group of people. Well, the ones they picked, they're never mentioned again. But the Lord appeared, we're gonna see on Sunday, 1 Corinthians 15, that he also appeared to Paul. And... Um, Paul was, of course, the 12th apostle. He calls himself such. So this would have been the second time with Thomas. And now let's go to the third time, which is in the Gospel of John, verse 21. We were here on Sunday. If we, let's go right down to verse 14 so that you can see how many times the Lord appeared to his disciples. Verse 14 says, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we know when it said he's, go tell my disciples um, to meet me in the Galilee. That, that happened on a Sunday. But we know that there was at least an eight day period of time that went by that he appeared to him the second time. And now this is the third time. So when you put all this together, we get a more complete picture of what he meant by waiting in the Galilee. And I truly believe this was a test. Um, My first question is, there's only seven of them that show up. It names um, Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, that would have James other, and then two others. So five are named, two are not named, uh, so that's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, four didn't show up. Why? Answer, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. He told them to meet them all up there. Peter gets impatient while they're waiting, so he says, I'm going fishing. Everybody else said, might as well. So they all take off and they all go fishing, and in the meantime, the Lord shows up. 
And I believe this is a test. And the test we, we talked about in quite a bit of detail is um, um, really counting the costs and following the Lord. That's what verse 15 through 17, uh, where he gets a one-on-one with Peter. So they recognize the Lord when he tells them they hadn't caught anything. We'll throw, throw the net on the other side and you guys, you'll catch. And so they cast and they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. And it was John who said to Peter, it's the Lord. I remember this happening three years ago, just like this. Peter jumps in, swims ashore. My Bible says they're about 300 feet off shore at this time, plunges in. And as soon as they get to the land, the Lord already has breakfast made. Nine, there's fire on the coals, fish laid on, there was bread. And he said, bring some of the fish that you caught. Now, the reason I know Peter is strong is um, he was the one by himself who drugged the net full of large fish, 153. And although there was so many, they did, it was not broke. So he said, come and eat breakfast. Notice this. And again, we're going to tie this into the Lord disguising his identity, I think, to Mary and then to Cleopas and his friend. Notice here it says, yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Well, it should have been obvious. It was obvious by what he told them to do. It was obvious because of the miracle. But now, why would this even be mentioned here unless the Lord again is testing their faith by concealing his appearance in the same way that he believed he did to Mary, in the same way I believe he did it to Cleopas. It's slam dunk with Cleopas. The Bible tells us he changed his appearance so that they would not recognize him. And here it's implied that he changed his appearance because none of them dared ask, who are you? Why would you even ask the question if he absolutely looked like the Lord? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And now we have again, this is now the third time he showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. All this, he told the women that when you go back, tell them I'm gonna meet them in, in the Galilee. And when you put all of it together, there's a whole lot more that's going on there. There's that eight day period between the first and second appearing. There's uh, uh, Cleopas being involved with the first appearance. And why are there only seven here? We don't know. I like the way John ends his gospel. I'm very much looking forward to getting into the gospel of John. It is different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call the synoptic gospels. Comes from the word similar because they're very much alike. John writes his gospel completely differently. He writes it around seven miracles and seven I am statements. And this is how he ends it, by saying, matter of fact, I want to read the end of chapter 20 and the end of uh, chapter 21. Remember I just said he just wrote about seven miracles and seven I am statements. John wants to make it clear in verse 30, truly Jesus did many other signs besides the seven in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. Then it says that are not written. Then he closes the gospel in chapter 21. John says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. But I wanna close with 1 Corinthians 15 because that's primarily where our study is gonna be on Sunday. And I'd like to lay just a little bit of the groundwork there by reading verses one through 11. Basically, what we just went through is a synopsis of the events. Let's pick it up in verse one. Facts of the resurrection. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That's a big little word there, if. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, past tense. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we'll be getting into those Old Testament scriptures on Sunday. And then he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. So now we have more insight here that there was this one-on-one meeting that gives us no details. This was a personal restoration uh, with Peter. Verse six, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, uh, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me as one born out of due time. This is Paul writing. For I am the least of the apostles and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We can all say amen to that one. Amen? By the grace of God, we are what we are. But, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. We'll close with this. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. And so we finish the gospel of Luke. And we head on to the Gospel of John. But on Sunday, we're talking, there's a verse, I'll get, just give you one little teaser here, where they're going to talk about his first coming. But he's saying it in reference to the rapture of the church. So most of the Bible study on Sunday is going to be about the rapture and where the scriptures are in the Old Testament. Enough to get you curious? Good, then let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And um, we know, Lord, why you've given us four gospels and how they harmonize. Um, One does not contradict the other. It just gives us a fuller and more accurate description and order of events and how they took place. We thank you for your word, Lord. 
And as we go out tonight, we just commit the teaching of your word, and I pray that our faith has grown just a little bit more as we look at your resurrection and the hope that we have of ours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. Then it says, that are not written, then he closes the gospel in chapter 21. John says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. But I want to close with 1 Corinthians 15 because that's primarily where our study is going to be on Sunday. And I'd like to lay just a little bit of the groundwork there by reading verses 1 through 11. Basically, what we just went through is a synopsis of the events. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Facts of the resurrection. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. That's a big little word there, if. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, past tense, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we'll be getting into those Old Testament scriptures on Sunday. And then he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. So now we have more insight here that there was this one-on-one meeting that gives us no details. This was a personal restoration uh, with Peter. Verse six, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, uh, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. This is Paul writing. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We can all say amen to that one. Amen? By the grace of God. We are what we are. But, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. We'll close with this. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. And so we finish the gospel of Luke. And we head on to the gospel of John, But on Sunday, we're talking, there's a verse, I'll just give you one little teaser here, where they're gonna talk about his first coming. But he's saying it in reference to the rapture of the church. So most of the Bible study on Sunday is going to be about the rapture and where the scriptures are in the Old Testament. Enough to get you curious? Good, then let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And um, 
we know, Lord, why you've given us four gospels and how they harmonize. Um, One does not contradict the other. It just gives us a fuller and more accurate description and order of events and how they took place. We thank you for your word, Lord. And as we go out tonight, we just commit the teaching of your word, and I pray that our faith has grown just a little bit more as we look at your resurrection and the hope that we have of ours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.